Hi, this is Professor Jim Paisley. Are you tired of the five-minute news clips presented every night by the talking heads on the national news? Would you like to know what is really going on? I have taught American and European history for the past 27 years. I find it fascinating how history truly does repeat itself. When we watch the evening news, no one seems to know anything about how current events are all tied to the past. Critical race theory, crime in our cities, federal versus state powers, the Arab-Israeli conflict, how about international relations with Russia, China, and Europe? On my shows, I give a historical perspective to what is currently happening in our world. Join me weekly to find the true history behind what is happening today. topic today. Let's talk about education. Now I find it fascinating that nowadays everybody has the answer. As a director of my college told me one time, he said, you know, we had a system that worked well for 2,000 years. Why are we trying to change it? And I have a tendency to agree with him. Now I'm going to start out here with something that you might find interesting. I'm going to go all the way back to the 2nd century A.D. under Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but he penned a series of personal writings and reflections known today as meditations. And in Book 1, the emperor shares some of his lessons learned and offers a glimpse at his experiences as a student of all things. Even then, from the sound of it, we were still letting schools get in the way of our children's educations. Now, from his great-grandfather, Catullus Severus, Aurelius learned to avoid the public schools, to hire good private teachers, and to accept the resulting costs as money well spent. Now, folks, that was 1,800 years ago. The more things change, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against our local schools. And I'm not for corporate-owned charter schools. What I am for is for schools free of state and federal bureaucracy. Plain and simple. Now, I found a great article in The Federalist by Jennifer Stefano. And in it, she states that Democrats' war on education opportunity is hurting them in public opinion. And that it will hurt them as things move forward. I mean, we all saw what happened when they finally stirred up the soccer moms in Virginia. Man, what a difference. Now, there's a war brewing in education. You can see it. And this time... It's not just against traditional public school parents. That fight hasn't gone anywhere. Parents still must advocate for a say in what their kids are taught within the confines of district schools across the nation. 
But those on the left have staked out a new enemy in recent months, charter schools. Now, Democrats declaring war on charters is particularly sinister considering the majority demographics these schools serve are low-income and minority students. These students often flee to charter schools because their normal school districts, the schools assigned based on zip code alone, are unsafe, failing, or both. Nationwide, nearly 70% of the 3.5 million students served by charters are minority students, while two-thirds are low-income. In places like Philadelphia, more than 60% of the enrollment in charter schools are black children, as opposed to less than 50% in the district's traditional schools. Now that's news to me, folks. I used to always think charter schools, well, that's for rich kids, right? Wrong. Now, parents have made a clear choice to provide a better, safer future for their children. But too often, the left doesn't respect their decisions. And now, the opportunity to even make that decision is being threatened. Consider Philadelphia, where the city's school board hasn't approved a new charter school since it took over charter authorizations. 85% of the charters closed by the Philadelphia school district since 2010 were led by people of color, including two schools that the district voted to close in June. Now, in Pennsylvania, 78% of 8th grade students are not proficient in math, and 47% are not proficient in language arts. Yet no one is demanding the closure of these schools. Instead, the government union executives are demanding more tax dollars to fix the problem. But folks, money won't fix a systemic problem. This isn't isolated to Pennsylvania. Instead, it's a nationwide coordinated attack by progressives, which includes the Democrat-funded teachers' unions, to further limit competition in education at the expense of student outcomes. Now, despite enrollment in charter schools increasing by nearly a quarter million students in 2020-21, the Biden administration continues to fight the will of the parents at every turn, most recently by slapping regulations on how charters qualify for federal grants. Now, the new rules, which require applicants to prove a need and community support for the school, among other nonsensical oversteps, prove Democrats are more concerned with meeting the demands of government union executives than those of parents. It's no wonder parents are shifting support to Republicans when it comes to education. Now, that's according to a poll released by Democrats for Education Reform, which specifically looked at likely voters in congressional battleground districts. Another poll commissioned by the American Federation of Teachers, the second largest teachers union in the nation, found similar results. Voters have more confidence in Republicans to deal with education issues. And they should. Republicans are putting parents back in the driver's seat of their kids' education, while Democrats kowtow to the government bureaucrats running taxpayer-funded education into the ground. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin campaigned on increased school choice, and the 56% of parents who supported him 
in a state that President Biden had won by 10 points just a year before, sent a clear message. We will vote for Republicans when they give us more control of our kids' education. It's a similar story in Arizona, where Republican Governor Doug Ducey signed the single largest expansion of school choice in the nation. Arizona's Empowerment Scholarship Account program gives families direct access to around $7,000 in state education funding to pay for private school tuition, tutoring, curriculum, and other approved expenses. Unlike other previous programs that restricted scholarship eligibility to students from low-income families with special needs or special needs, Arizona's program now offers universal eligibility. Everybody. Now, I'll tell you, the charter schools bring with them a whole new set of problems. Think about it. Do you really want a large corporation teaching our kids? Fighting against the will of the parents, especially when it comes to the future of their kids, is a losing message. Yet Democrats seem hell-bent on clinging to it as they fight the expansion of charter schools and other school measures at every turn. It's not difficult to see why when you examine the relationship between government unions and the Democratic Party. The American Federation of Teachers, for example, spent almost $20 million for the 2020 election, with nearly all of its political contributions going to Democrats and left-wing groups. For the current election cycle, government unions have already spent $13.6 million on politics, with 85% of their political action committee donates donations going to Democrats. The result? Our kids are failing. Parents have limited options, and in some cases, no options at all. Increasingly, they distrust the political party that continues to take their options away. Now, I found another great article by Joy Pullman, and it was in The Federalist, and she talks about some education reform ideas that we need to try. First, she starts out and says, revive the good ideas. Okay, Testing and its supposed synonym accountability are just not getting the job done. And we've been trying this brand of government monopoly for nearly three decades. Conservatives need new ideas, or rather, to stop mucking about in bureaucracy maintenance and finally recover some old ideas about educating children that have excellent track records. So here's a few ideas that she came up with. Explicit test opt-outs for kids. Perhaps the number one exciting thing in education right now is the unprecedented wave of parents defying federal testing mandates to sign their kids out of these tests that they take every spring. We're talking ACT, SAT, all that mess, okay? Now, it's a protest measure against both Common Core, as these tests are the first reiteration of the new annual nationwide tests, and against the mechanisms of power that sprung it upon the people unannounced. SAT and SACT tests are no longer used for determining college scholarships. We're talking hundreds of thousands of kids refusing these tests this spring. Whereas before Common Core, trial testing runs last year 
Perhaps a few hundred have ever done so in any given year before. In New York alone, estimates of the number of test refusals put the number at 300,000 kids and counting, nearly a third of all kids tested in that state. At its heart, the option to bow out is about individualism versus collectivism. As hundreds of thousands of kids refuse to take these tests, many local school officials have told families that they're not allowed to customize a public school education by refusing bits and pieces this way. Enrolling in public schools is a package deal, they say. As one Ohio administrator told a parent, if you don't take the tests, you're going to have to homeschool. Many others have forced these young, conscientious objectors to sit and stare at the testing screen all day, doing nothing while their classmates dutifully fill out the computerized bubbles. Others have threatened parents with holding their kids back a grade if they don't take the test. Enough. Either parents run education or the collective does. State and national lawmakers who support parents and individual rights should give everyone the explicit power to accept or reject taking these tests and any other component of public schools that they find objectionable. From a Missouri middle school teacher to parents, here's a quote. I wanted to send you an email to let you know that today students received back two formative assessments and entered their data into their data trackers, which are located within Google Classroom. With the middle grade's school switch from traditional grading scale to standard-based grading, this means that grades will no longer be reported to you, the parent, on a 100-point scale, but rather based on specific priority standards students are working on, and their scale on a value from 1 to 4. What? Since this is a new process for both students and teachers, I wanted to reach out and explain the first assessment pieces you will see entered into SIS and also your student's data tracker. Now think about this, folks. This is a note from a school teacher to the parents. We're doing away with a 100-point scale. We're going to a 1 to 4 scale, and it's just it's hard to comprehend what they're trying to do here. And here's, here's some of the things that they, they give you. Number one, for a one, collaborative conversations. For this formative assessment, the target score being assessed was a two, acknowledging new information expressed by others. As we then step back and continue work within this standard, upcoming assessments will build on the skills work toward proficiency in the three and four categories. That was clear. Number two, analyzing character, setting, and plot. For this informative assessment, the target score being assessed as a one, could students identify the meaning of commonly used literary terms? As we continue to work within this standard, upcoming assessments will build on the skills to work toward proficiency in the two, three, and four categories. Some assessments may target specific score levels, and some assessments may include questions for which a student could express their thinking and understanding, which could score across multiple point-level categories. As teachers, we are learning the ins and outs of standard-based grading. 
and are trying to find the best and most efficient way to communicate your students' progress to you. Now, folks, does any of what I just said make any sense to you? Back when it was a 100-point scale, you could pretty well tell if your kid was passing or failing. This is beyond comprehension. Standard-based grading on a 1, 2, 3, or 4. I, I'm, I'm at a loss, an absolute loss. Now, a colliery to the above is allowing states to tell the feds thanks but no thanks to the feds' use of state tax dollars to bribe states into activities those same state tax, taxpayers may not support. Now think about it. You say, this is ridiculous, this standard-based stuff. We don't want to do it, just like CRT and the rest of it. Now, the provision that we're talking about would allow states to get their education dollars back as a block grant while opting out of federal strings, as long as they promise to adhere to civil rights laws and improve education for poor kids. Now, the argument for this this is simple and data-driven. Federal mandates have done nothing to improve education for the past 60 years even for poor and minority kids. Their central function has been impoverished states and shackling teachers to pad bureaucrats' butts, period. So the bottom line is, what the author's saying here, they ought to be able to bow out of this. You know, that as long as you comply with civil rights laws and improve the education of your kids, you're going to continue to get funding. You shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops like CRT and test standards testing and standards-based grading in order to get your federal dollars. Another proposal. Support supply-side education. Merely creating some sort of school choice program is not enough to encourage new entrants. Most existing school choice programs in the general education field itself is so regulated that new voucher or tax credit scholarship programs mostly fill existing empty seats in existing private schools. Instead, private investors should seed new schools with startup grants. States need to axe their regulatory thickets that are built for incumbents rather than new entrants. For example... State scholarship amounts are typically too low to pay for the majority of the cost a student brings to a school. So current private school students effectively subsidize choice students. Here's another. Schools typically can't participate in school choice programs unless they're accredited. But accreditation requires three to six years of operation before schools can apply for it which requires new private schools to cater to an entirely different clientele to get to the point where they can reach more and more, more and poorer kids. So you have to take that leap with them. They're often disqualified from getting any scholarship once the school has accepted them because many states bar existing private school students from choice programs. In other words, starting a private school is a catch-22. Charters have worked through these sorts of things, and states need to import some ideas like provisional accreditation into the private choice sector if they ever want to encourage a startup rather than an incumbent culture. 
That's supposed to be a central justification for school choice. But programs labeled school choice almost always entirely ignore this fundamental set of problems. Here's another great recommendation from the author. Deregulate private schools. A companion to the previous point is that states need to deregulate private schools. It's not currently very well known, but states micromanage private schools. I personally think we should deregulate not only private schools, but public schools as well. Schools should be run at the local level, not by federal and state bureaucrats. Some private schools have curriculum mandates. Most have teacher credential mandates, although research shows that traditional teaching credentials are an utter waste of time and mostly progressive brainwashing, and almost have accreditation mandates. Now, it's not very well known, but states micromanage these private schools. In the first place, there's nearly no proof that the things accreditation requires improves the school's quality. Develop a school improvement plan that incorporates all stakeholders, blah, blah, blah. Develop a sustainability and inclusivity plan that incorporates the whole community with a special focus on minorities. What happened to reading, writing, and arithmetic, folks? Now, in the second, as in higher education, using accreditation as a condition of allowing taxpayer funding corrupts the accreditation process. It gives accreditors power to tell schools Nice little Christian school you got there. It would be a sad thing if you actually taught your your religion's sexual ethics and therefore lost your ability to accept taxpayer aid. Accreditation needs to be entirely privatized for private schools. End of story. Further, the federal government, in all its wisdom, provides funds to help private schools by giving their teachers the same crappy training that helps public school teachers perform so well. That can be pitched as well. Now, here's a big one for me. In the teacher education monopoly, people, the research says certification doesn't produce better teachers. That's probably because teacher certification and teacher degree programs are more about progressive indoctrination than about academics or effective teaching. Mostly, we have no idea why effective teachers are effective, so we can't teach it. We can only open more opportunities for more people to try and quickly cut the ones who don't rise to the occasion. We can also deregulate education in general, because the education culture of Mother May I turns off smart people who can make big payoffs in other fields by busting their butts against far less mindless opposition. It all attracts people who care more about self-esteem and box-checking than they do concrete achievement. The best box-checkers get promoted to principal and then superintendent. And now you know why education is such a mess. State-mandated teacher credentials will always be terrible because they created a monopoly for whomever issues the credentials. The certifiers alone get to say who can teach, who can't, and who can charge what would be entrance. Think about this. 
I taught college-level courses in American and European history for 27 years. Yet in my own state, I'm deemed unqualified to teach at the K-12 through level because of the fact that I haven't had their classroom management and dealing with the difficult child courses. Just a side statement. Then comes curriculum monopolies. It was progressives who came up with the idea that standardized education along the lines of the scientific management of big business. They brought this general principle into all of education, and it deforms curriculum under the guise of education standards. These are mind-bogglingly stupid, unintelligible, politically correct lists of state and now national mandates for what teachers must teach in each subject in each grade. Yes, I know Republicans as well have been gung-ho about curricular central planning since before Reagan, but it doesn't work. The last American history class that I taught started with the words, our country was founded by white imperialist racists. That's the standard. That's what's to be taught in the schools. One of the reasons I'm not doing it anymore. Now, research shows that education standards have nothing to do with student achievement. Again, that should be no surprise because monopolies destroy quality. They create a power center that naturally attracts special interest groups whose inevitable dominance erodes self-governance, thought, and language. So it's time for state and federal lawmakers to get out of the curriculum business. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. I'm all in favor of public education, just as Thomas Jefferson was. However, I'm opposed to what it's become. The ideas presented today should be adopted by our public school system, break free of federal state regulations and mandates, and return the education to our children and to we the people. If it can't be done, then we should push for totally independent schools, free of federal and state mandates, funded by our tax dollars, hiring our local teachers at a good wage, and working with them to set our own curricula for our kids. It's called capitalism, folks. If public, charter, and private schools won't comply, let them compete. The choice is there. That's all I have for today, folks. I'm Professor Jim Paisley. If you'd like to help me continue these shows, it's as simple as clicking the support link where you access this podcast. Thanks, and be sure to remember your history.